0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 39 to 41 and in the previous episode we read chapters 34 to 38 and it was quite the interesting chapters. We still saw a shift in Bob's relationship with Annabeth and Percy and Bob had taken Annabeth and Percy to this guy who hopefully can cure the poison that had that Percy had gotten into his body so we'll see how that good that's going to go obviously it's going to be a bit tense especially with the fact that that they are not on such good terms with bob anymore especially after him finding out about the memory loss stuff so we'll see how this goes and hopefully percy can get cured and maybe he can talk it out with bob i don't know i really like bob so i would really like them to work it out somehow So yeah, we're going to read chapter 40, my bad, chapter 39, and then after the breaks, we'll read chapter 40 and 41. So chapter 39, Annabeth. Cozy. Annabeth never thought she would describe anything in Tartarus that way, but despite the fact that the giant's hut was as big as a planetarium and constructed of bones, mud, and dracon skin, it definitely felt cozy. In the center blazed a bonfire made of pitch and bone. Yet the smoke was white and odorless, rising through the hole in the middle of the ceiling. The floor was covered with dry marsh grass and grey wool rugs. At one end lay a massive bed of sheepskins and dracon leather. At the other hand, at the other end, freestanding racks were hung with drying plants, cured leather were hung with and what looked like strips of dracon jerky. The whole place smelled of stew, smoke, basil, and thyme. The only thing that worried Annabeth was the flock of sheep huddled in a pen at the back of the hut. Annabeth remembered the cave of Polyphemus, the Cyclops, who ate demigods and sheep indiscriminately. She wondered if giants had similar tastes. Part of her was tempted to run, but Bob had already placed Percy in the giant's bed, where he nearly disappeared in the wool and leather. Small Bob hopped off Percy and kneaded the blankets, purring so softly and the bed rattled like a thousand-finger massage. Domison plodded to the bonfire. He tossed his dracon meat into a hanging pot that seemed to be made from an old monster skull, then picked up a ladle and began to stir. Emma didn't want to be the next ingredient in his stew, but she'd come here for a reason. She took a deep breath and marched up to Domison. My friend is dying. Can you cure him or not? Her voice caught on the word friend. Percy was a lot more than that. Even boyfriend really didn't cover it. They've been through so much together. At this point, Percy was part of her. A sometimes annoying part, sure, but definitely a part she could not live without. Domison looked down at her, glowering under his bushy red eyebrows. Ambeth had met large, scary humanoids before, but Domison unsettled her in a different way. He didn't seem hostile. He radiated sorrow and bitterness as if he were so wrapped up in his own misery that he resented Annabeth for trying to make him focus on anything else. I don't hear words like those in Tartarus, the giant grumbled. Friend, promise. Ambit crossed her arms. How about Gorgon's blood? Can you cure that? Or did Bob overstate your talents? Angering a 20-foot tall Dracon slayer probably wasn't a wise strategy, but Percy was dying. She didn't have time for diplomacy. Domison scowled at her. You question my talents? I half dead mortal struggles into my swamp and questions my talents? Yep. She said, hmm. Domison handed the Bob the ladle. Stir. As Bob tended the stew, Domison perused his drying racks, plucking various leaves and roots. He popped a fistful of plant material into his mouth, chewed it up, and spat it into a clump of wool. Cup of broth, Domison ordered. Bob ladled some stew juice into a hollow gourd. He handed it to Domison, who dunked the chewed-up gunk ball and stirred it with his finger. Gorgon's blood. "'He muttered. "'Hardly a challenge for my talents.' "'He lumbered to the bedside and propped up Percy with one hand. "'Small Bob the kitten, sniffed the broth, and hissed. "'He scratched the sheets with his paws like he wanted to bury it. "'You're gonna feed him that?' Annabeth asked. "'The giant glared at her. "'Who is the hero- healer here? "'You?' Annabeth shut her mouth. "'She watched as the giant made Percy sip the broth. Domison handled him with surprising gentleness, "'murmuring words of encouragement that she couldn't quite catch.' With each sip, Percy's color improved. He drained the cup. His eyes fluttered open. He looked around with a dazed expression, spotted Annabeth, and gave her a drunken grin. Feel great. His eyes rolled up in his head. He fell back in the bed and began to snore. A few hours of sleep, Domison pronounced. You'll be good as new. Annabeth sobbed with relief. Thank you, she said. Domison stared at her mournfully. Oh, don't thank me. You're still doomed, and I require payment for my services. Ameth's mouth went dry. Oh, uh, what sort of payment? A story, the giant's eyes glittered. It gets boring in Tartarus. You can tell me a story while we eat, eh? Ameth felt uneasy telling a giant about their plants. Still, Domison was a good host. He'd saved Percy, his Dracon Misu was excellent, especially compared to Firewater. His hut was warm and comfortable, and for the first time since plunging into Tartarus, Ameth felt like she could relax, which was ironic since she was having dinner with a titan and a giant. She told Domison about her life and her adventures with Percy. She explained how Percy had met Bob, wiped his memory in the River Leth, and left him in the care of Hades. Percy was trying to do something good, she promised Bob. He didn't know Hades would be such a creep. Even to her, it didn't sound convincing. Hades was always a creep. She thought about what the Arai had said. How Nico D'Angelo had only been the only person to visit Bob in the Palace of the Underworld. Nico was one of the least outgoing, least friendly demigods Annabeth knew. Yet he'd been kind to Bob. By convincing Bob that Percy was a friend, Nico had inadvertently saved their lives. Annabeth wondered if she would ever figure that guy out. Bob washed his bowl with his squirt bottle and rag. Domison made a rolling gesture with his spoon. Continue your story, Annabeth Chase. She explained about their quest in the Argo II. When she got to the part about stopping Gaia from waking, she faltered, She's. um. She's your mom, right? Thomas scraped his bowl. His face was covered with old poison burns, gouges, and scar tissue, so it looked like the surface of an asteroid. Yes, he said. And Tartarus is my father. He gestured around the hut. As you can see, I was a disappointment to my parents. They expected. more from me. Ameth couldn't quite wrap her head around the fact that she was sharing soup with a 20-foot-tall, lizard-legged man whose parents were Earth and the pit of darkness. Olympian gods were hard enough to impress his parents, but at least they resembled humans. The old primordial gods like Gaia and Tartarus. How could you leave home and ever be independent of your parents when they literally encompassed the entire world? So... She said, You don't mind us fighting your mom? Damason snorted like a bull. (laughs) best of luck. At present, it's my father you should worry about. With him opposing you, you have no chance to survive. Suddenly, Annabeth didn't feel so hungry. She put her full bowl on the floor. Small Bob came over to check it out. Opposing us how? She asked. All of this. and cracked a drake on bone and used a splinter as a toothpick. All that you see is the body of Tartarus, or at least one manifestation of it. He knows you are here. He tries to thwart your progress at every step. My brethren hunt you. It is remarkable you have lived this long, even with the help of Iapetus. Bob scowled when he heard his name. The defeated ones hunt us, yes. They'll be close behind now. Damason spat out his toothpick. I can obscure your path for a while, long enough for you to rest. I have power in the swamp, but eventually they will catch you. My friends must reach the doors of death, Bob said. That is the way out. Impossible, Damason muttered. The doors are where are too well guarded. Ambit sat forward. But you know where they are? Of course. All of Thurder's falls down to one place. His heart. The doors of death are there. You cannot make it there alive with only Iapetus. Then come with us, Ambit said. Help us. <laughs> Ambit jumped in the bed. Percy muttered deliriously in his sleep. Ha, ha, ha. Tired of Athena, the giant said. I am not your friend. I helped mortals once. And You see where it got me? You helped, mortals? Annabeth drew a lot about Greek legends, but she drew a total blank on the name Domicin. I... I don't understand. Bad story, Bob explained. Good giants have bad stories. Domison was created to oppose Ares. Yes, the giant agreed. Like all my brethren, I was born to answer a certain god. My foe was Ares, but Ares was the god of war. So when I was born, you were his opposite, Annabeth guessed. You were peaceful. Peaceful for a giant, at least, Domison sighed. I wandered the wild fields of Maonia in the land you now call Turkey. I tended my sheep and collected my herbs. It was a good life, but I would not fight the gods. My mother and father cursed me for that. The final insult? One day, the Maonian dracon killed a human shepherd, a friend of mine. So I hunted the creature down and slew it, thrusting a tree straight through its mouth. I used the power of the earth to regrow the tree's roots, planting the dracon firmly in the ground. I made sure it would terrorize more mortals no more. That was a deed Gaia could not forgive. Because you helped someone? Yes. Thomason looked ashamed. Gaia opened the earth, and I was consumed. Exiled here in the belly of my father Tartarus. Where all the useless flotsam collects. All the bits of creation he does not care for. The giant plucked a flower out of his hair and regarded it absently. They let me live tending my sheep, collecting my herbs so I might know the uselessness of the life I chose. Every day, or it passes for day in this lightless place, the Maeonian Dracon reforms and attacks me. Killing it is my endless task. Ameth gazed around the hut, trying to exi- imagine how many eons Damason had been exiled here, slaying the dragon, collecting its bones and hiding meat, knowing it would attack again the next day. She could barely imagine surviving a week in Tartarus, exiling your own Sonia for centuries. Was beyond cruel. Break the curse, she blurted out. Come out with us. Thomason chuckled sourly. <laughs> as simple as that. Don't you think I've tried to leave this place? It is impossible. No matter which direction I travel, I end up here again. The swamp is the only thing I know. The only destination I can imagine. No, little demigod. My curse has overtaken me. I have no hope left. No hope, Bob echoed. There must be a way. Ambitz couldn't stand the expression of the on the giant's face it reminded her of her own father the few times he convinced her that he still loved athena he looked so sad and defeated wishing for something he knew was impossible bob has a plan to reach the doors of death she insisted he said we could hide in some sort of death mist death mist thomason scowled at bob you would take them to aglas it is the only way bob said you will die Dalmanson said, painfully, in darkness. Aclis trusts no one and hopes no one. Bob looked like he wanted to argue, but he pressed his lips together and remained silent. Is there another way? No, Dalmanson said. The death miss—that is the best plan. Unfortunately, it is a terrible plan. Amber felt like he was ha- she was hanging over the pit again, unable to pull herself up, unable to maintain her grit. Left with no good options. But isn't it worth trying? she asked. You could return to the mortal world. You could see the sun again. Dominicin's eyes were like sockets of Dracon's skull, dark and hollow, devoid of hope. He flicked a broken bone into the fire and rose to his full light. A massive red warrior in sheepskin and Dracon leather. With dried flowers and herbs in his hair, Annabeth could see how he was the anti Ares. Ares was the worst god, blustery and violent. Dominicin was the best giant, kind and helpful. And for that, he'd been cursed to eternal torment. "'Get some sleep,' the giant said. "'I will prepare supplies for your journey. "'I'm sorry, but I cannot do more.'" Ameth wanted to argue, but as soon as he did sleep, her body betrayed her. Despite her resolution never to sleep in Tartarus again, her belly was full, the fire made a pleasant crackling sound, the herbs in the air reminded her of the hills around Camp Half-Blood in the summer, when the satyrs and naiads gathered wild plants in the lazy afternoons. "'Maybe a little sleep,' she agreed." Bob scooped her up like a rag doll. She didn't protest. He set her next to Percy on the giant's bed, and she closed her eyes. And that's the end of chapter 39. I I think that this chapter it was really it was really hurtful to see how Domison was treated. I mean, he got punished just because he wasn't serving his purpose of destroying the world. And his parents were disappointed in him. Which makes sense because they both also tried to destroy the world and take over the world. But it's like, you know, Domison just wanted to be a peaceful guy with his farm, with his sheep. And that just never happened. And I find that really upsetting and sad, you know. I think that definitely I hope that after all of this, if they come successful in the war, if they're able to beat Gaia... I really do hope that they're able to bring Dalmason out and he's able to live the life that he's always wanted because I think that he should be, he he is, he's wonderful. He needs to be protected. He's such a sweet being. So yeah, that was definitely a great chapter. So right after this short break, we're going to come back to chapter 40 for a quick of, uh, and read a quick chapter uh, on, on what happens to Annabeth after she takes the sleep that she's been wanting, and see what happens afterwards. So, see you after the break. And we're back from the break. And now we're gonna read chapter forty. Annabeth. Amberth woke, staring at the shadows dancing across the hut ceiling. She hadn't had a single dream. That was so unusual. She wasn't sure if she'd actually woken up. As she lay there, Percy snoring next to her and small Bob purring on her belly. She heard Bob and Domison deep in conversation. You haven't told her? Domison said. No, Bob admitted. She's already scared. The giant grumbled. She should be. And if you cannot guide them past night? Domison said night like it was a proper name. An evil name. I have to. Bob said. Why? Davison wondered. What have the demigods given you? They have erased your old self, everything you were. Titans and giants. We are meant to be foes of the gods and their children. Are we not? Then why did you heal the boy? Davison exhaled. I have been wondering that myself. Perhaps because the girl goaded me. Or perhaps I find these two demigods intriguing. They are resilient to have made it so far. That is admirable. "'Still, how can we help them any further? It is not our fate.' "'Perhaps,' Bob said, uncomfortably. "'But do you like our fate?' "'What a question. Does anyone like this fate?' "'I like being Bob,' Bob murmured, before I started to remember.' "'Hush!' There was a shuffling sound, as if Domison was stuffing a leather bag. "'Domison?' the Tainas. "'Do you remember the sun?' The shuffling stopped. Ambeth heard the giant exhale through his nostrils. Yes, it was yellow. When it touched the horizon, it turned the sky beautiful colors. I miss the sun, Bob said. The stars, too. I would like to say hello to the stars again. Stars, Dawson said, the word as if he'd forgotten its meaning. Yes, they made silver patterns in the night sky. He threw something to the floor with a thump. Bah, this is useless, talk. We cannot... In the distance, the Maonian dragon roared. Percy sat bolt upright. What? What? Where? What? It's okay. Ambit took his arm. When he registered that they were together in a giant's bed with a skeleton cat, he looked more confused than ever. That noise. Where are we? How much do you remember? She asked. Percy frowned. His eyes seemed alert. All his wounds had vanished except for his tattered clothes and a few layers of dirt and grime. He looked as if he'd never fallen into a Tartarus. I, the demon grandmothers, and then, not much. Domison loomed over the bed. There's no time, little mortal. The Dracon is returning. I fear its roar will draw the others. My brethren, hunting you, they will be here within minutes. Amit's pulse quickened. What will you tell them when they get here? Domison's mouth twitched. What is there to tell? Nothing of significance, as long as you are gone. He tossed them to two dracon leather satchels. Clothes, food, drink. Bot was wearing a similar but larger pack. He leaned on his broom, gazing at Annabeth as if still pondering Damocent's word. What have the demigods given you? We are meant to be the foes of gods and their children. Suddenly, Annabeth was struck by a thought so sharp and clear it was like a blade from Athena herself. The prophecy of seven, she said. had climbed out of bed and was shouldering his pack. He frowned at her. What about it? Annabeth grabbed Damocent's hand, startling the giant His brow furrowed, his skin was as rough as sandstone. "'You have to come with us,' she pleaded. "'The prophecy says foes bear arms to the doors of death. "'I thought it meant Romans and Greeks, but that's not it. "'The line means us, demigods, a titan and giant. "'We need you to close the doors.' "'The dracon roared outside, closer this time. "'Damison gently pulled his hand away. "'No, child he murmured. My curse is here. I cannot escape it. Yes, you can, Ambit said. Don't fight the Dracon. Figure out another way to break the cycle. Find another fate. Domison shook his head. Even if I could, I could not, cannot leave the swamp. It's the only destination I can picture. Emmett's mind raced. There is another destination. Look at me. Remember my face. When you're ready, come find me. We'll take you to the mortal world with us. You can see the sunlight and stars. The ground shook. The Dracon was close now, stomping through the marsh, blasting trees and moss with its poison spray. Farther away, Annabeth heard the voice of the giant polyboats urging his followers forward. The Sea God's son, he is close. Annabeth, Percy said urgently, that's our cue to leave. Domison took something from his belt. In his massive hand, the white shard looked like another toothpick. But when he offered it to Annabeth, she realized it was a sword. A blade of dragon bone, honed to a deadly edge with a simple grip of leather. One last gift for the child of Athena, rumbled the giant. I cannot have you walking to your death unarmed. Now go, before it's too late. Annabeth wanted to sob. She took the sword, but she couldn't even make herself say thank you. She knew the giant was meant to fight at their side, but that was the answer. But Damason turned away. We must leave, Bob urged as his kitten climbed onto his shoulder. He's right, Annabeth, Percy said. They ran for the entrance, Annabeth didn't look back as she followed Percy and Bob into the swamp. But she heard Domison behind them, shouting his battle cry at the advancing Dracon, his voice cracking with despair as he faced his old enemy yet again. And that's the end of chapter 40. Rather relative short chapter, but all the more just as much meaning as any other chapter. I think that this yet again we have fit another puzzle piece into this quest annabeth has figured out that it wasn't the greeks and romans after all it wasn't that the fact that the foes were the romans but rather the foes were the foes themselves that might sound a little bit confusing but the foes have all the time been monsters it has always been they were always the ones that no matter whether you were roman or greek your foe was a monster so this this is going to be very, very interesting. We'll, it's very interesting to see whether Damison is actually going to join them and whether they'll be able to close the doors of death. That I definitely have hope for. We're going to end off this, uh, this episode with reading the next chapter and then going on into the Q&A slash shoutout session. So let's read chapter 41, this time from Piper's perspective. Piper didn't know much about the Mediterranean, but she was pretty sure it wasn't supposed to freeze in July. Two days out to sea from Split, grey clouds swallowed the sky. The waves turned choppy, cold drizzle sprayed across the deck, forming ice on the rails and ropes. It's the scepter, Nico murmured, hefting the ancient staff. It has to be. Piper wondered. Ever since Jason and Nico had returned from Diocletian's palace, they'd been acting nervous and cagey something major had happened there, something Jason wouldn't share with her. It made sense that the Scepter might have caused this weather change. The black orb on top seemed to leech the color right out of the air. The Golden Eagles at its base glinted coldly. The Scepter could have controlled, supposedly controlled the dead. And it definitely gave off bad vibes. Coach Hedge had taken one look at the thing, turned pale and had announced that he was going to his room to console himself with Chuck Norris videos. Although Piper suspected that he was actually making iris messages back home to his girlfriend, Melly, The coach had been acting very agitated about her lately, though he wouldn't tell Piper what was going on. So yes, maybe the scepter could cause a freak ice storm. But Piper didn't think that was it. She feared something else was happening. Something even worse. We can't talk up here, Jason decided. Let's postpone the meeting. They'd all gathered on the quarter deck to discuss strategy as they cla- got closer to Epirus. Now, it was clearly not a good place to hang out. Wind swept frost across the deck. The the sea churned beneath them. Piper didn't mind the waves so much. The rocking and pitching reminded her of surfing with her dad off the California coast. But she could tell Hazel wasn't doing well. The poor girl got seasick even in calm waters. She looked like she was trying to swallow a billiard ball. Need to- Hazel gagged and pointed below. Yeah, go. Nico kissed her cheek, which Piper found surprising. He hardly ever made gestures of affection, even to his sister. He seemed to hate physical contact. Kissing Hazel was almost like he was kissing goodbye. I'll walk you down. Frank put his arm around Hazel's waist and helped her to the stairs. Piper hoped Hazel would be okay. The last few nights since that fight with Skyrim, they'd had some good talks together. Being the only two girls on board was kind of rough. They shared stories, complained about the guy's gross habits, and shed some tears together about Annabeth. Hazelette told her what it was like to control the mist, and Piper had been surprised by how much it sounded like using charm speak. Piper had offered to help her if she could. In return, Hazelette promised to coach her in sword fighting, a skill at which Piper epically sucked. Piper felt like she had a new friend, which was great, assuming they lived long enough to enjoy the friendship. Nico brushed some ice from his hair. He frowned at the scepter of Diocletian. I should put this thing away. If it's really causing the weather, maybe taking it below deck will help. Sure, Jason said. Nico glanced at Piper and Leo, as if worried what they might say when he was gone. Piper felt his defense going up, like he was curling into a psychological ball. The way he'd gone into a death trance in that bronze jar. Once he had it below, Piper studied Jason's face. His eyes were full of concern. What had happened in Croatia? Leo pulled his screwdriver from his belt. So much for the big team meeting. Looks like it's just us again. Just us again. Piper remembered a wintry day in Chicago last December, when the three of them had landed in Millennial Park on their first quest. Leo hadn't changed much since then, except he'd seemed more comfortable in his role as a child of a festus. He'd always had too much nervous energy, now he knew how to use it. His hands were constantly in motion, pulling tools from his belt, working controls, tinkering with his beloved Archimedes' spear. Today, he removed it from the control panel and shut down Festus the figurehead for maintenance. Something about rewiring his processor for a motor control upgrade with the spear, whatever the heck that meant. As for Jason, he looked taller, thinner, and more careworn. His hair had gone from close-cropped Roman style to longer and shaggier. The, ru- gr- the groove Skyrim had shot across the left side of his scalp was interesting too, almost like a rebellious streak. His icy blue eyes looked older somehow, full of worry and responsibility. Piper knew her friends whispered about Jason. He was too perfect, too straight-laced. If that had ever been true, it wasn't anymore. He'd been battered on this journey, and not just physically. His hardships hadn't weakened him, but he'd been weathered and softened like leather. As if you were becoming a more comfortable version of himself. And Piper? She could only imagine what Leo and Jason thought when they looked at her. She definitely didn't feel like the same person she'd been last winter. The first quest to rescue Hera seemed like centuries ago. So much had changed in seven months. She wondered how the gods could stand being alive for thousands of years. How much change had they seen? Maybe it wasn't surprising that the Olympians seemed a little crazy. If Piper had lived through three millennia, she would have gone loopy. She gazed into the cold rain, she would have given anything to be back at Camp Half-Blood, where the weather was controlled even in the winter. The images she'd seen in her knife recently, well, they didn't give her much to look forward to. Jason squeezed her shoulder. Hey, it'll be fine. We're close to Epirus now. Another day or so, if Nico's direction's are right. Yep. Leo tinkered with his spear, tapping and nudging one of the jewels on its surface. By tomorrow morning, we'll reach the western coast of Greece. Then another hour inland, and bang! As of 80s. I'ma get me the t-shirt! Yay. Piper muttered. She wasn't anxious to plunge into the darkness again. She still had nightmares about the n- Nymphaeum and the Hypogeum under Rome. In the Blade of Catoptera, she'd seen images similar to what Leo and Hazel had described from their drinks. A pale sorceress in a gold dress, her hands weaving golden light in the air like silk on a loom; A giant wrapped in shadows, marching down a long corridor lined with torches. As he passed each one, the flames died. She saw a huge cavern filled with monsters, Cyclops, Earthborn, and Stranger Things, surrounding her and her friends, hopelessly outnumbering them. Every time she saw those images, A voice in her head kept repeating one line over and over guys she said i've been thinking about the prophecy of seven took a lot to get leo's attention away from his work but that did the trick what about it he asked like good stuff i hope she readjusted her cornucopia shoulder strap sometimes the horn of plenty seemed so light she forgot about it other times it felt like an anvil as if the river god Achilles was sending out bad thoughts, trying to punish her for taking his horn. In Catoptress, she started, I keep seeing this giant, that giant, Clydeus, the guy who's wrapped in shadows. I know his weakness is fire, but in my visions, he snuffs out flames wherever he goes. Any kind of light just gets sucked into his cloud of darkness. Sounds like Nico, Leo said. You think they're related? Jason scowled. Hey, man, cut Nico some slack. So, Piper, what about this giant? What are you thinking? She and Leo exchanged a quizzical look. Like, since when does Jason defend Nico D'Angelo? She decided not to comment. I keep thinking about fire, Piper said. How we expect Leo to beat this giant because he's hot? Leo suggested with a grin. Uh, let's go with flammable. Anyway, that line from the prophecy bothers me. To storm or fire, the world must fall. Yeah, we know all about it, Leo promised. You're gonna say I'm fire and Jason here is storm. Piper nodded reluctantly. She knew that none of them liked talking about this, but they all must have felt it was the truth. The ship pitched the starboard. Jason grabbed the icy railing. So you're worried one of us will endanger the quest? Maybe accidentally destroy the world? No, Piper said. I think we've been reading that line the wrong way. The world, the earth, and great the word for that would be... She hesitated, not wanting to say the name aloud, even at sea. Gaea? Gaia? Jason's eyes gleamed with sudden interest. You mean to storm or fire, Gaia must fall? Oh. Leo grinned even wider. You know, I like your version a lot better, because if Gaia falls to me, Mr. Fire, that is absolutely copacetic. Or to me. Storm. Jason kissed her. Piper, that's brilliant. If you're right, this is great news. We just have to figure out which of us destroys Gaia. Maybe. She felt uneasy getting their hopes up. But see, it's storm or fire. She unsheathed Catopterus and set it on the console. Immediately the blade figured, showing the dark shape of the giant Clitius moving through a corridor, snuffing out torches. I'm worried about Leo and this fight with Clitius, she said. That line in the prophecy makes it sound like the only one only one of you can succeed. And if the storm or fire part is connected to the third line, an oath to keep with a final breath. She didn't finish the thought, but from Jason's and Leo's expression, she saw that they understood. If she was reading the prophecy right, either Jason or Leo would defeat Gaia. The other one would die. That's the end of chapter 41. Whoa. That was intense. I definitely, that ending was definitely something that I would not have expected at all in the beginning. And I think that it's a very, very fascinating way to go about this because I see that in the past few chapters that we've just read, There's a lot more analysis with the prophecy now. Because obviously, the prophecies are always true, no matter what, in what way. It's just how we go about them. So this is going to be interesting because of that "or" statement. This could be right. This could be wrong. Either way, I really don't want either of them to die. So let's see if it really meant something else. Because fingers crossed, I'm really hoping that Piper was wrong about the death part. But yeah, that was the end of chapter 41. We're going to move on to the questions and shout-outs. So moving on to the shout-outs, we have Miles Miles 222. Two, two, two. Thank you. Briley and Vidity. Thank you so much for you for y'all's support and if you guys want any more shout-outs, let me know and I'll try my best to get you. So the first question we got is, do you do any sports? Um, yeah, I used to do, uh, soccer, basketball, a bit of tennis, a bit of swimming, but no worries. I'm not doing any of them now, but they were very fun when I did them. It was a good time. Uh, next question is, how do you think we arrived here on earth? Um, I think the evolution, uh, theory is something that's very fascinating and I have, it's probably one of the more plausible theories of how we ended up here with the evolution of chimpanzees evolving into humans after some time is definitely a plausible concept that I think makes sense to me at least um but yeah fascinating question uh next question have you read the hunger games no I have not but I definitely would like to um someday I think that it's definitely (laughs) it's definitely a popular series and I'd love to see what all of the excitement is about next question is what day do you make episodes uh i try my best to make them on the weekends sometimes it goes into mondays but yeah i'm trying to keep it mainly to the weekends because sometimes saturdays don't work out or sundays don't work out so i'm trying to keep them mainly in the weekends and i'm trying to get better at that uh next question is what is my favorite pokemon starter Uh, i'd probably say charmander I think with just how, not just in Pokemon card games, but in uh, shows in general, I think there was a lot of potential with Charmander. Uh, As he essentially eventually evolved to uh, Charizard, he definitely had a lot of potential, especially when it came to bonding with the trainer. Obviously, every Pokemon can bond with their trainer, but from what I've seen, I think that Charizard has a lot of potential in terms of that. So I'd say he's one of my favorites. Plus, his, he's adorable. So, <laughs> Next question is, have you read the graphics novels of Percy Jackson and Heroes of Olympus? I have not. I I think I may have seen them so, at uh, at a library nearby, but I don't think I've actively read all of them or read most of them. I would definitely would like to check that out, though. Thank you for letting me know. Um, Next question is, favorite monster? Um, oh, let's see. Let me think about it. That's a, that's an interesting one. I'd probably say it's a very, very close tie between Domison and Bob. I think they're just practically my favorite ones so far. Polly Boats is pretty funny. Polly Boats was a funny guy um, in the beginning when they first defeated him. I think he was a funny guy, but overall, I think, the genuine the ingenuity of Domison and Bob or just Chevskis. Um have you read the Harry Potter books? I actually have not done that either. I've only watched the movies um up until this point. But obviously I'm not a true Harry Potter fan if I haven't read the books. So who knows? Maybe that might be another series and we could uh say we could maybe Explore that a little bit after this uh, Percy Jackson series. Uh, next question is: How do I start a podcast? Wonderful question. Um, you can start one on the Spotify for Podcasters app. It's a great tool. It it is super easy to use, and I think that it definitely was very helpful to me when I first started out this podcast. It was so simple. I didn't have to think about doing. I didn't have to think about logistics or anything. Spotify took care of that for me. So, I definitely say that Spotify for podcasters is a great app app for you if you want to start a new podcast. Um, who would I have as my ride? Um, I'm assuming that this question is asking maybe, like, who would I have to travel? Maybe, like, Arian or Festus or a mythical creature like that. Um... Logic-wise, I would say Arian, because Festus does have the, the flaw of potentially sh- short wiring, as we saw before in The Lost Hero. And I definitely would not want that to happen again to Festus, just for the sake of, you know, himself. So, I'd probably go with Arian, plus with the speed, it's much more convenient to just get to places on time. Um, but Festus, uh, his his personality just melts my heart, I think. He's just, he he's a great... Mechanical dragon in of itself. Um next question is if I could give a different ending to the last Olympian, would you change Luke's death by either rephrasing the prophecy or you just think that he had to die? Definitely, ooh, this I would probably say that the moment where he realized, or at least he was able to get out of Kronos' body, or Kronos possessing him for a second, and he's able to realize that what he'd been doing all along was it's not right obviously the things he has gone through in the past is definitely frustrating but the choice he made to go to Kronos's side definitely affects him later on so I definitely wish that the prophecy was rephrased a little bit so he could have made been able to get out of that um But also at the same time, I feel like he had to die because Kronos was with him. So if he went down, then Kronos would go down too. So it's a sacrifice at that, at that point as well. So it's it's a little bit of leeway. I I I actually I want you guys to also let me know in the comments. Would you rather have Luke die? Would you when would you rather have Luke die, or would you have rather rephrased the prophecy so that Luke wouldn't have to die? So, but, but Kronos would still be possessed with, within him. That, that's a, that's a, that's a fascinating one. I want to see what everyone else's responses are. And tell me why. I really want to, I want to hear the reasons as well. Uh, next question is, did you like Luke in the first three chapters? Um... i I definitely you know i think in the first three chapters he was getting percy used to the combats he was the one that was introducing percy to camp half-blood and i loved him at first but i think slowly as time went on and he started to go towards the dark side it was like i don't know you know i don't know what's happening here i mean it's it, it makes sense but at the same time it's 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 not well in itself that he should go to the dark side um, the next question is, did you make a podcast on the first series, uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians? And yes, I actually did. Um, it's the beginning of this podcast. It's uh, If if you guys want to go back to that, maybe like relive um, some of the earlier years of this podcast. Uh, it's the earlier season. So all you got to do is just scroll all the way down or whatever app you're using. Just go to the earliest one in whatever way possible. And you'll probably be able to access the Percy Jackson and Olympians series with all of the books. But yeah, that is the end for the Q&A session. Do please, uh, if you guys have any any other questions, please continue to ask them. And I'll try my best to answer all of them. And yeah, thank you guys for your time. And until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.